Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. Today, we have an amazing guest, Galia Wessler, who is an entrepreneur. She is the founder of Plazis, which is a technology company that focuses on blockchain technology. She's doing some really interesting stuff around blockchain these days uh, related to COVID and how we can scan and test for the virus. Uh, so we talk a lot about that. She is also an international speaker. She spoke at TEDx and we talk about how she prepared for the role, her speech, and how you can become an international speaker as well. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Galia, and welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Joe. So nice to see you and so nice to be on your show. Yeah, so nice to reconnect. So Galia joins us from Berlin, um, who and she's stuck there in quarantine. Um, no, 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 not quarantine. No, no quarantine. <laughs> you just, okay, so just stuck at WeWork then. Yes. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you about, so you're a TEDx speaker. Uh, that was four years ago. Um, I can't believe it. it's been that that long. But you talked about social media and how it makes you feel isolated and how it makes you feel lonely. Do you feel that's still the case four years later? You know, it's been exactly four years ago. We did the last rehearsal on the 29th. We got on the stage. We had an opportunity to meet there. I think that the research that I've done in order to deliver my talk and the talk that I gave from a technological perspective really talks about the problem about loneliness that people feel. But if you think about what is happening today, today, social media is all we have because people are in isolation. So the research that I talked about in my TEDx it talked about the fact that people are overusing social media to really glorify their lives which are not that great. They end up comparing themselves with other people, which scientifically there is proof to, to show that they are feeling more lonely. And loneliness is as dangerous as smoking with 40% um, mortality rate, which means that social media, according to the researchers, is not very good for you. And my topic was about how to use technology and social media to actually win the game of this loneliness. Because if you join certain groups of interest using social media, you can actually defeat the loneliness and feel more connected with people. But I think today, the group of interest that I was talking about is unfortunately the global pandemic that is happening. So the theory still holds true, whereas you have some sort of a common interest that people share, which today is the pandemic. Today is the fact that they're aware, stuck at home in a lockdown. And how are you able to uh, regain personal connections? How are you able to do your job? What do you do when you lose your job? What do you do when you lose your business? So, so much of that commonality is now, uh, is now very apparent to all of us, which is why social media is, is one of the best ways 
and, and technology in general is one of the best ways to connect. I mean, we're using Zoom right now, not to give publicity to Zoom because they don't deserve it. <laughs> but I mean, we're using, we could have used WhatsApp, we could have used Telegram, whatever, to be able to have this video conferencing. So when people, now that social media pretty much is uh, the only way to connect with a lot of people because they're self-isolating or they're in quarantine or you know they just can't meet up with their friends and family what tactics do you think that people can use so that they don't feel that isolation and they they don't have that depression that often comes with social media i think that it's um Outside of social media, you need to have your circles of friends and family. And then uh, you can use social media in order to connect with these circles of friends and family. And if you're working on a greater cause or on a greater challenge in your life, then you could use larger groups using social media. Um, I think that people are, they need to be able, because they're in isolation, to get out there a little bit more by trying to reach out to people because it's really dangerous, especially if you're in isolation, to be emotionally isolated. I mean, we are physically isolated. Some of us are alone. Some of us have a family, but a lot of us are separated from our parents or our grandparents. From, you know, the parents are separated from, if they're an elderly couple, separated from their kids. Um, it's really important to wake up in the morning and reach out to people um, and, and still keep that close touch with the community in order to really not lose your mind. The second thing is people need to have some sort of a routine. So you wake up in the morning, you have your coffee, maybe you do some exercise, maybe you get right into work. Even though you work remotely, you should still dress up. You should still try and look good, uh, regardless of the fact if you're using video conferencing. And I know this and you know this because we've been working remotely for many, many years. And true advocates of working remotely, you have to have a yeah, routine. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you have to have a routine, and you need to have clothes on. If, if those are important. <laughs> if you wish to have clothes on. <laughs> yeah, I think those are really great tips. Thank you. So, can you, um, for listeners or viewers who want to uh, uh, have a TEDx talk, who wants to be on stage, um, can you describe your experience and a little bit about the process leading up to your speech? Yeah, so first of all, um, we have been part of the amazing community of Toastmasters, which is an international club where you can join many, many clubs in different parts of the world. I now join Center of Berlin Toastmaster here in, in cool. Berlin, in Germany. Yeah, they've worked with me with, with, uh, with open arms. And I actually targeted them because that was, my, that was like my plan to get familiarized with the city and, and really bribe people to be my friend. Toastmaster has been my path in order to be introduced to Jules, because Jules was working with Roger on the TEDx. She was a volunteer. She said to Roger, which we all know Roger, he actually founded our club. He's the one who did TEDx Stanley Park. Uh, back four years ago, he got the license from TED to actually hold one of the biggest TEDx's in Vancouver, with you know, thousands of people at Queen Elizabeth. And I was very fortunate to be um, interviewed I was in front of a committee. I presented the topic of social media and loneliness from a technology perspective. And then I've been assigned to be with a mentor. And then it's about eight, nine months of really um, hardworking process where you present a script. Joe, you also helped me with my script. 
and they shed it, they like tear it apart, smash it, and and then you have to make another one and another one and another one. And about after the 150 version of my script, where lots of amazing people have helped me, they've approved it. And then every month or so towards the, towards the leading uh, time to the event, every, every week or it was in a separate of every month, we had to present our talk. So as a public speaker, you learn how to be a public speaker with Toastmaster, but to be a TED, TED speaker and to be a TEDx speaker is completely different level because you have to be in a level where you're on a global stage and you're not saying things like, good evening, fellow Toastmasters and most welcome guests. No, you need to start with an amazing, imagine the world where everybody's lonely and we can all be connected. You need to really be like an amazing, amazing influencer to capture an audience from all around the world. And that's a very hard challenge. And if it wasn't for the mentorship and if it wasn't for all the people that have helped me write my script, if it wasn't for me practicing in front of uh, live audiences and in front of my friends that have helped me as well. But I have to give credit to my dear friend, Marsha, from Philadelphia. She worked with the actual TED. Like we've got TEDx, which is locally uh, run, and we have the actual TED where you kind of need to be sort of like a Steve Jobs to be there. So she worked with the actual TED people, and I showed her my last, last version of my script. And she said, it's horrible. And so I think I was 10 days before the event. And I was oh, no. like, what do you mean it's horrible? So we changed it again a little bit. I, I introduced some, uh, some very interesting technique. And then I just changed it actually without getting the approval. What I did is I came to the general rehearsal. General rehearsal happens about a week before the event. You put on your nice clothes. You do your hair and makeup. And I, I, I went into the stage and I was like, and I mean, I, I think they were in some sort of a shock because they were just like crying. And then I ended up, I ended up performing that version of my script. Nice. Have you always been interested in technology? Yes. Um, in high school, I was not. I was interested in uh, I studied French and I wanted to be a psychologist. So I studied sociology, psychology, and I was also a dancer. And I also, I went to Tel Aviv University to study law, which I failed miserably. Um, but my, my passion in law is because I used to watch LA Law. Oh, nice. And I thought, and, I thought, and also my passion is fashion. And I thought, oh, I want to look like them. That was my first thought. But quickly after the Israeli military in Israel, you have to go. When I was uh, 18, I was drafted. When I was 20, I was released. I mean, I, I had to choose what I wanted to study. And I didn't want to study psychology or sociology, not in languages, you know, even though uh, I couldn't be like a professional dancer or anything. So I had to choose a profession. And my dad gave me the best tip of my life, which is, he said, if you study software engineering, many doors will open for you. And, and my reaction was, software engineering? <laughs> I barely like finished math in, in high school. I mean, I finished high school with, with a good remark, but I was not a person who excelled in math and physics and, and I never studied computers, you know? And he said, and I'm, uh, you realize I'm your daughter. This is, maybe you think you're talking to someone else. He said, no, you can do it. And I did it within the four years I studied uh, software engineering, which opened many doors for me. And that's when the love and a, and appreciation and the curiosity about technology really started in me until today. 
And is that how Plazis came about? So Plazis is obviously your, your company. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and um, yeah, what you guys do? So Plazis started after I incorporated to Galvanize, which is another company. I arrived to Canada about 13 years ago and I worked in, uh, in, the, in my career as a product manager. So being a software engineer and having a lot of uh, technical knowledge allowed me to manage project and then to be the product manager, which is the person that takes the idea from the stakeholder's head and translates that into a technical document and works with the team in order to make it a reality. So any idea for an app or website, you come to someone like myself and then we make it happen. And we also happen to manage the project. At that time, um, I've reached a point where I, I, I would say I hit the glass ceiling because being a product manager is a very creative role. And I started to not get along, especially with my bosses. And I would either get kicked out of the company in a Canadian polite way, uh, being asked to leave because you know it just did not work. It wasn't a good match. Or I left. And actually, a lot of the time, the, I, I did a lot of turnaround time in startups. And startups are like, I mean, I have a startup they're the worst because they end up with very high budget. They give you this astronomical salary. Then they realize they can't afford you. Then problems start to emerge. Being a very honest and upfront person, it never, never drives very well. So I found myself outside either or I've taken myself outside of that game. And I really had no choice but to go back to my consulting business, which I actually started before starting my career and really focusing on providing product management services as a contractor so that I have the control who I wanna work with. And then I started getting more and more bigger projects in software development, particularly in apps. That was like the specialty. And then uh, I met my former boss that it didn't work out with his company. And he said, I remember you being a very brilliant person. I would like to invest. So he invested at Plazas along with his partner. And then we added more investors we got into the blockchain space because we really believed in creating um, self-serve systems for businesses. So the focus was about creating B2B solutions. And the focus was how do you create a solution for a business where you can empower them to create their own website, their own app, their own backend system without being de de uh, dependent on developers. So this concept of self-service systems really resonated with the investors, which is how we started to build uh, plazas, which started as an app builder. You could create your own social network on our platform and just like, like spur up an, an app within seconds. And then we decided that it really fits with the blockchain philosophy, which is how do you empower people to own control and, and, um, and to be able to monetize on their data? How are we able to empower users? And really the empowerment of the users that we've done were business users. So we started getting into the blockchain space. We raised a little bit more money and we developed our own communication protocol, again, in lines of creating private social networks because I talked about the social media aspect and how people should really join groups of interest. We created a tool for people to create their groups and for them to be able to own what the data that is being talked about on the group. So it was basically an idea of creating like a Facebook group that is, in, is, a, is, is using blockchain technology to be able to have people um, uh, take the brand of the, of the group and market it to their friends. So they would get incentivization every time they would promote, for example, the Nike brand or some other influencer brand. That was the idea. 
And as soon as we got into the blockchain space and we started to raise money, uh, the market crashed. But uh, luckily for me, I've always been on stage giving different keynotes about the technology and clients have started hearing about what we're doing and they were curious of how blockchain can be interesting for them. And that's where we got into uh, the space of developing blockchain solutions for businesses. And today, <laughs> there's more development where we're getting into health and blockchain, uh, actually with regards to COVID, after participating in very, very important hackathons with regards to the COVID crisis and how can technology help uh, with the existing pandemic and also prevent the next pandemic. So really, really interesting path. And, and if it wasn't for my amazing team um, and you know a, a lot of perseverance and a lot of innovative ways of making the company work, I mean, we just talked about difficulties that are happening to a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals during pandemic times. And, uh, and, and you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to uh, you have to be able to persevere and you have to be able to reinvent yourself not just the entrepreneur i mean lots of people now working for companies losing their jobs they have to come up with ways of reinventing themselves yeah that's that's like that's a very interesting path for sure and i think we were talking uh before about kind of the applications that um you can use with covid and with self-testing can you talk a little bit about that or is that still under wraps yeah i, I can talk a little bit about it um we've done global hackathon which uh, consists of forty thousand people we also did hack the crisis netherlands i mean now being in europe actually the majority of the team is in europe our clients are in europe which is why i came here and then got stuck here and so we did the hackathon about two months ago and we got a lot of attention with a simple idea, which is how to use blockchain as self-sovereign identity. Self-sovereign identity means that I have my ID, I have my passport, or this is my WeWork uh, passport, and simply by tapping, they know that it's me. So self-sovereign identity means that you are scanning your government ID and the app only receives the credentials that have been verified. For example, the app doesn't need to know my full passport number, my date of birth. It only needs to know that maybe I'm Gallia and these are my last four last digits and I'm, I am an authorized Canadian and maybe I have some sort of a health insurance. Only these credentials are stored on the app. And then we came up with the idea of the user being able to go through a test, PCR, because we work with uh, Sanquin. Sanquin is the Dutch blood bank and they run PCR tests, which is a test that allowing, allowing you to know uh, within hours if you're shedding the virus. And so uh, the use case with them was they're sending the test kits to a per person's home. They take some sort of a swab. There's another type of test called antibody test, which means that they puncture their finger. Whichever the case is, they take the, the specimen and they put it inside a special package. And in the mail system, there's a way for you to send it in some sort of a, uh, conditions where it doesn't get too warm or too cold. They send a sample to the lab and the lab can push the result directly to the person's phone. So everything that's happening from a technological perspective, nothing is stored on the cloud and only parts of information is stored on the person's phone and encrypted on their phone. And the user has to push to the lab the authorization for them to give him his test results. And then once the test result is received on the person's phone, they can then um, share this with the authority. So if you think about a use case of going to an airport, and it's happening right now at the Vienna airport. They make people go through PCR testing in a lab there, 
or you can go to quarantine. So you can choose <laughs> what do you want to do. But basically, <laughs> I mean, the governments, they have to know uh, the, the status of the people, right? But this really gives validation to the idea that what if there could be an app that a person can validate themselves in an anonymous manner, yet verified, go through a test, receive the test results to their phone, and then once they log into the airline's website and they, they print their boarding pass, their status of being, for example, COVID-free can be associated without QR code, and then they go to the gate and the app opens, opens the gate for them because they're not shedding the virus or because they have some sort of levels of antibody. And that's basically the idea. And, and um, it went through a few permutations, but the essential user flow has been validated again and again and again and again with different partners. And now we are working with WHO on how to make this a good use case for even for post-market surveillance, which is how do, how do these manufacturers of these tests get to improve these, these, uh, these test kits, this, for example, COVID test kits or HIV test kits or any other disease that a person would like to test for. And also, how can you use the data in an anonymous manner to provide research? So if you think about vaccine, a vaccine that's going to come out, it's really important for the drug companies to know this anonymized data, even how the vaccine is working in correlation with other drugs that the person is taking. And if you think about the essence of this, this app, it really is the connection between the patient and the authorities, such as the pharma company or the manufacturer or the, or the blood bank or the government, they have to have a connect communication with the patient that will, but that will gladly give some of his data if they knew it was anonymous and if they knew that it can really help with the research to try and find a solution for this pandemic, but also prevent the next one. Because if you think about the problem right now in the world is, is the information, it, it's not accurate. And even if it's accurate, you don't know. I mean, you might do a PCR test, you go outside, and then you get infected again. Yeah, I think that this is definitely the wave of the future because people are going to be more aware of, you know, of um, health and, you know, potential outbreaks. And um, we're definitely not going to be going back to the way things were. So I think people will be more vigilant that these things are definitely necessary for sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. So you are an international speaker. You speak all over the world about social media, blockchain, probably other things. Um, how can one uh, become an international speaker? Because it it really does seem like a an amazing lifestyle to be able to travel all across the world. I mean, you're in Berlin. I know you you uh, speak in Israel and obviously North America. So what are some tips you can give uh, to so people can uh, start this path? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the world of public speaking right now has been very much um, um, difficult because, I mean, you can't travel very mm-hmm. freely right now. I mean, even for me to go back to Canada, I'm struggling. I don't know actually how to do it because I, I can't just be in Canada. I need to be able to go back here. There's activities in Europe. For me personally, I mean, I was counting on the back and forth and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck like many other people in the world. So if you're a public speaker and you want to go and perform in other places, first of all, travel is not really possible. Secondly, there are no conferences. Thirdly, even if there are conferences, they're going to be small. They're going to be some limitations unless, unless they, they take on the approach of testing, which I talked about. Um, 
and to be able to identify who is safe, who is not safe, but still keep social distancing. I think maybe that's the plan. For me, the way it worked thus far, and I still do conferences online, um, I took the advice of Bosco. Bosco, mm. fellow friend of ours, and he's much, much more. Um, he's coming up on the podcast, by the way. Amazing. So yeah. Bosco is an amazing guest for you to have because he really knows the art of being a public speaker and charging for it. And what he told me, he said, you have to build your portfolio. It's kind of like any other job, right? I mean, I, I don't look at it as a job, personally. Uh, I don't, for me, my job is my company. But I look at it as a way to deliver messages, to get sales lead, to be a thought leader. I mean, if you are a professional person and you really focus on your job and your purpose in life, why are you doing this job? Because you need to absolutely love what you're doing. And if you love what you do, you end up actually um, be able to provide for yourself with this job. You could be a thought leader that can deliver really important messages. And so for me, the way I did it is the TEDx has opened many, many doors for me. Um, I don't like to bring this topic, but being a woman, I just, I hate this, I hate this topic. Because for me, it doesn't matter. You can be a they, you can be a she, you can be a he, you can be whatever you want. It doesn't matter your gender. Nevertheless, uh, women in technology, in blockchain are a rare species. So as a rare species, I get invited to talk about technology, blockchain, being a woman, and which can be very interesting for some people. But I just happened to find my niche. And uh, I did the TEDx that really helped. I did a lot of keynotes. You need to do a lot of uh, keynotes and presentations for free. You need to have some sort of a framework like Toastmasters to be able to practice again and again and again. I always stand on the, the Toastmasters stage. And they're like, what are you doing here? You're such an amazing speaker. I, I don't think I'm an amazing speaker because I'm, I said to them, I'm like an athlete. I know this is hard to believe that this is an athlete, but I am an athlete. athlete. Yeah. I'm an athlete in public speaking because every week I get to practice. Every week I get to be challenged. Every week I do table topics. And if I want, I can do speeches and it's all about the practice. So my point is that you need to be, have some sort of a niche. You need to be very good at it. If you're not good at public speaking, you shouldn't do it. You should still practice kind of like an athlete. And then you need to have the opportunity to start small and present in public um, occasions. Maybe now it's online. And then you, you can uh, present in front of larger audiences. And very important, always get feedback. Because you don't know how you're perceived. And you want to be able, again, depending on the audience, to be able to give value. Because actually, when you're on stage, it's not for yourself. You're on stage because you are some sort of a vehicle to deliver a message. And so you're on stage for the audience. And if you need to cater for the audience, you need to understand what are their needs. And then based on that, uh, have your performance. That's awesome. That's um, some really great advice. Is, is there somebody who that sticks up and sticks out in your mind that has really influenced uh, I guess you're either your speaking or your career or just who you are as a person. I have to say it's my mom and dad. I usually say it's my dad, but if my mom is listening, it's obviously it's my mom. My parents are amazing. My parents are just, I miss them so much. I can't go to visit them right now. Mm. Um, they're amazing. They're, they're really amazing together, which is, you know, on a personal note, if you ever wondered what love is, that is love. And I wish that for every person on this planet to have such love. 
and also the love that they give to their children and the wisdom. My dad has been in high tech for many, many years. He was president of different companies in Israel. He's traveled all over the world. He's very much into, I mean, the guy is almost 80 and he looks amazing. And my mom as well. And but my dad is into technology. I mean, he knows a lot about blockchain. I mean, he buys like the latest Android and the Google phones and he sends me, <laughs> then we have a fight. No, iPhone is better. No, Android is better. And then we have discussions about blockchain. I mean, no, a lot of people don't know blockchain, right? But my dad knows blockchain because he has a researcher mind. Then my mom brings the whole emotional balance piece where, you know, sometimes I can be a little bit robotic with work, but there has to come some emotions and, 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 uh, and emotional intelligence, which my mom excels at. So I think it's a good balance of these two mentors that are in my life and I wish for them to be safe. Nice. And they're on Vancouver Island right now. Is that correct? Yeah. So and how did you come to Canada? Like, and why settle in Vancouver? I was born in Montreal. My dad did his PhD there. So he got a citizenship. My dad is Romanian and my mom is Egyptian. They met in Israel shortly after they moved to Canada. Uh, myself and my older brother, may he rest in peace, were born in, we were born in Canada. We went back to Israel. So we basically grew up in Israel. And then my little brother was born there as well. So coming back here was very easy. You just claim your social insurance number and Canada welcomes you back. The reason why Vancouver is because I was in a relationship once upon a time and the guy wanted to move to Canada. And I said, Canada? Oh, my God. I've never been. I've only was only born there. I said, ew, it's cold there. He goes, no, no, no. He, he brings back the spreadsheets that shows me the amount of water that Canada receives and the amount of snow. And he said, West Coast is where you want to be. And he showed me the research and he said, it's amazing there. It's warmer there. He kind of forgot to tell me it's really raining there. And <laughs> um, I mean, he, he did tell me, but I didn't realize that, you know, coming from Israel, I just expected, he said warm. I just expected sun. sun and the yeah. first time that I landed in Vancouver, it was raining and I had no umbrella. I was terrified. I was like, oh, my hair, my hair. It's like, what are you made out of sugar? You can't walk in the rain? Even until today, I, I don't understand this. 13 years in Canada. And Berlin, Berlin is very similar weather. Mm. There's rain and I don't have umbrella and I'm completely, I mean, you would think I would understand by now to have an umbrella in my, in my bag. <laughs> yeah, I, I just bought a uh, umbrella for the first time. Uh, really? Just, yeah, I, well, first time in probably, I don't know, 20, 20 years uh, just the other day. So you, yeah. you know what I was thinking? You know, Gary, Gary from the mm -hmm. club. Gary's yeah. amazing. Gary, you should definitely interview Gary. And Gary interviewed okay. me as well with this podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He used to sell, I mean, he's like an Amazon um, seller, reseller, um, magician. He used to sell these umbrellas, remember? It's like these, no. it's like really huge umbrellas that if you yeah. it, it ends up drying. Okay, so, yeah. He would sell this. And he's like, Galia, do you want one? I'm like, huh. no, it's, it's my height. I'm going to forget it in places. <laughs> so I didn't end up buying it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Um, so Galia, where can people find you? I would say LinkedIn is the best place. Just type in Galia Westler and I will gladly accept your, um, your uh, friend request as long as you don't spam me with uh, nonsense. Yeah. And, 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 you know, ever since the TEDx, people have reached out to me via LinkedIn. Also, my email is galia at plazos.com. 
and they've been sending me emails and telling me how it made them feel and also just if I can inspire people, if I can inspire women to get into technology, if I can inspire people to get into entrepreneurship, if I can inspire people to, even if times are difficult right now, to find ways to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And you still get messages about your TEDx talk. I do. Yeah, I do. And I I get a lot of comments that are not always, uh, but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs, belongs to TED, so I have no control, but people do comment. On my, awesome. on my presentation. That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, Galia, thank you so much. I know you're super busy. Um, so it's great thank to you. reconnect with you. Um, hopefully, uh, the flight restrictions are lifted. You can, you know, fly freely and, and come back and we can have a coffee and you can visit your parents. Um, I would but love yeah, that. So, yeah. Thank I you so much. And, and for everybody to stay safe and keep social distancing. We don't know still where the pandemic is at. We need to be socially responsible and we have to keep our loved ones safe. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.